you live in a place, it is yours to care for and take care of. Mm -hmm. um, it is not yours just to, you know, sit back, enjoy your life, and watch the world around you, but participate in the world and mm -hmm. put yourself out there. Right. Figure out what you believe in and, you know, do it. Welcome to Ignite Cast, the podcast of the Ignite Leadership Conference presented by the Community Development Foundation. My name is Rory Tyre. I'm a facilitator and coach with Go Innovation. And I'm Judd Wilson with the Community Development Foundation. I'm the Vice President of the Chamber of Commerce. And this is the final episode for Ignite Cast Season 1. For this episode, we focus on somebody who's been really special in the history of Tupelo, Mississippi. Jack Reed Sr. passed away a few years ago. We got his grandchildren to come sit with us and talk about their memories of a man who significantly shaped not just Tupelo, but Northeast Mississippi and beyond. He was a businessman, he was an activist, but perhaps most importantly, he was a loving grandfather whose life and leadership lessons impacted multiple generations. When we look at Tupelo, we look at the leaders that, that we've had in this area. And Jack Reed Sr. has been one of those uh, giants as, as far as leadership goes in Tupelo, Mississippi. Right. And if you come into downtown Tupelo, one of the most prominent stores on Main Street is Reed's department store. And right. there's a lot of history behind the Reed family and the city of Tupelo, which we thought had a lot of lessons for this leadership podcast. So we're really excited to be with a lot of the grandchildren and glad that you guys were able to make some time hang out with us. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Uh, what are some leadership lessons that you use today and that you learned from your, your grandfather that, that you take with you? And you can, you can just say your name before you start speaking. We'll do it that way as well. One thing that stands out for me that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is that his life seemed very integrated to me. And he was a leader sort of, he was sort of a singular leader and it overlapped in different areas, right? So he was a leader in our family. Uh, he was a leader at the store. He was a leader in the community. He was very involved in the church. But to him, those were not separate segments of life. And I think we live in a world, and, and speaking as someone who currently lives in New York, we have sort of these compartmentalized lives. But I think the way he sort of lived his life in the world was very integrated, and one of those didn't work without the other. And when I think about sort of how... I want to move through my life. That's something I look to try to do that I think doesn't get a lot of attention. <laughs> this is Paul. I was uh, I was admired. I think this was mentioned in his funeral. His genuine love for humanity. He really treated everybody the same way, no matter who you were. I mean, he's done a bunch of great things in his life, and uh, I feel like he gave everybody the same amount of attention. He really cared about what was going on in their lives and what they were doing. Um, this is Dakin and just talking about like his family and business and how that all went together I remember like when my sister Lilla and I were little we would just run into his office all the time to like get chocolate and he would be having like meetings with people yeah. who would stop and like say hey and give us a hug and like ask us how our day was and then we would leave and he would go back to his meeting but he never like didn't have time so mm. yeah but he'd steal all your snicker bars <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is Claude um, mine is very simple but I think it has had a huge impact on me um, as a child and I didn't didn't realize really that he was what he was doing at the time but I, he always no matter what 
would make time to listen to anything that I wanted to talk to him about or any problem I had. He would help me sort through it. Um, and I just remember thinking, even just a few years before he died, how much he cared, how much I felt like he cared and how much I know he cared about what was going on, going on in my life. It's really helped me try to be a better listener. Um, this part, he cared about such important things, really, you know, moral justice, racial reconciliation, and um, community civic um, kind of responsibility. And I think that in some ways it's easy to kind of romanticize or gloss over this real kind of unglamorous work of, of achieving or working toward that goal. You know, I think that a lot of the the things that he did were were not glamorous, were really boring meetings, you know, and really um, long committee hearings and just this a sort of slow slog toward progress and with the speeches as well, I just think there was a real dedication and determination to, and sort of a really seeing the long view, um, knowing that these incremental meetings or, or small speeches to small groups of people really were working toward this greater purpose and the bigger goal. And and in terms of just hard work, I think that I was I remember being so impressed um, with just how seriously he took even the smallest speaking assignment, you know, a very short introduction at a civic meeting, introducing like the keynote speaker. He would work so hard on getting it exactly right and getting the joke exactly right and getting the delivery exactly right. Or, you know, a quick announcement at church. You know, he would work as hard on those seemingly insignificant speaking you know, roles or assignments as he would a speech that he was giving at the state capitol. Well, and that goes back a little bit to saying the conversation earlier about he treated everyone equally. It didn't matter if you were the president of the organization or someone walking down the street that he passed. It was the same with the work he did or the speeches mm-hmm. he gave that sort of he put his all into the thing that he was doing regardless of what it was. One of the stories I think about is when, and I'm, I may get this wrong, so jump in if I get it wrong, but he talks about being at war and being a soldier alongside black people. Mm-hmm. And then he came, he served with them fighting in our country. And he came back and thought, oh my God, like, this, is, this is so simple. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this so complicated and just thinking about the fact that he listened and saw and watched what was happening around him and his ability to observe those things or sort of what drove uh, where his moral compass uh, uh, directed him. So he sort of took the world in and listened and then moved forward. This is Bennett. It, to elaborate on that, that that's what one thing I wanted to make sure was mentioned because everybody thinks of his you know, prime moment is at the MEC you know, when he was the president-elect going up there to make the speech, but he was firmly setting his shoes all the way, way before then, going back to the World War II experience when he was, I guess in the book by Danny McKenzie, he says he was an enlisted man that couldn't get, ever get into the officer bars. He wasn't alert, allowed in certain restaurants or or uh, things like that just because he was an enlisted man, so he was whatever. And then he realized that that's how he treated, 
minorities when we got back. And he said, you know, he said, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't an immediate convert, but I damn tried to be. You know, so he's, he was, he was working on that as a young man, mm-hmm. really. And then it, it was many, I think, like a decade later before he gave that speech to MEC. So. And he also gave that speech to MEC with his brothers telling him not necessarily to do it. And Ben, you referenced, you have a book in front of you. Can you tell us what the name of it is and the author? And yeah, uh, interested? it's a great book. Uh, speeches by Jack Reed, Time to Speak. You can uh, buy Danny McKenzie. We sell it at the bookstore. It's a bookstore. But uh, it, it's a pretty fun book because it does a lot of things other than just, you know, his one or two things that he's most remembered for. Mm-hmm. You know, there's speeches that he gave to Vanderbilt, which were really all about his humor. And I thought that's probably one of the most, other than family, humor was pivotal to him, you know. It's, and he thought it was a tool, you know. It, whenever you're going through tough times, humor's a way to kind of get everybody off their toes and back on their heels and relaxed again. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of really funny things in there that uh, it's worth a read. Yeah. <laughs> Some good pictures of us in there too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the most important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I've I've heard um, sort of this one speech referenced a couple of times. It sounds like there's kind of a pivotal moment. Somebody help me tell me the story. Like I've I've you talked about his impact and the impressions he's left on you, and I really appreciate that it's a lot of very personal, sort of behind the scenes things. But um, there's other things that kind of make up his legacy, maybe that those who don't know him as intimately but still know of him, so help like paint the picture for me. Talk to me about his legacy, the different things, different ways he left his mark, and then maybe leading up to that, the speech that you keep referencing that seems to be some kind of a pivotal moment. Um, well, I'll cheat right out of the book. Um, this is Bennett, uh, page six. Uh, is, uh, uh, but anyways, January 22nd, 1963, he's the president-elect to the Mississippi Economic Council, and he's in Jackson. And, it, and how old? Like 32, yeah. 33, okay. so, so my age. And uh, but anyway, he's there. And uh, Real quick, just Mississippi Economic Council, give us a little bit of background. Like what was that's, that that's the State Chamber of Commerce. Okay. So they're the State Chamber of Commerce yeah. of, 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 of Mississippi. So they sort of help drive policy. He's in this big ballroom and it's full of all these big muggy mucks from across the state and it's really his first time to have a voice with the entire state, I guess. And integration is going on um, and not necessarily favorably. Sure. And he felt that it you know, was something that uh, was very upsetting how it was being responded to. And, uh, you know, there's, the book addresses, which is, I think, important, is he only gives... He only speaks about, you know, Mississippi schools for two minutes out of a 20-minute speech. But during the middle of the speech, as soon as he made those comments, half the room stood up and left. And most of them were state legislature, body, and you know, you know, members of business from all across the state. And, but he kept trucking, and he—it was a very devoted speech. To, I mean, he quotes Aristotle in here. I mentioned that um, Woodrow Wilson. Um, you know, he, he talks about what democracy is and it's self-restraint. Um, it's a pretty, I imagine he took a lot of time on this, but the funny thing is, is, was the only person that really knew what the speech entailed was Francis, his wife, who was his biggest critic, who would never give him a, more than a B plus on any speech he gave, I think, when she yeah. was critiquing him. 
And his brother, who was saying, yeah, you might not want to do that, Jack. And then he just stood up there and did it. So it took a lot of, I guess, gumption. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was basically there, the Economic Council Council and the legislature was trying to decide whether or not they were going to keep public schools open. Mm-hmm. And so he was speaking out in favor of keeping them open and not closing them. So in other words, one strategy a lot of people did use in the face of integration was, well, we'll just close them down. And this is a similar strategy that people use with neighborhood institutions like pools, as an example. So mm-hmm. rather than keep a public pool, if we have to integrate, well, we'll just shut it down. Um, so you're saying that's the context where, in other words, and then he spoke out and said, no, we should keep them open. Anything else that he said in that part specifically, I'm imagining the scene, a bunch of people standing up in the middle of the speech and walking out. I mean, is there a particular line, or is it just sort of a realization like, wow, he's saying something we really don't want to hear? He was saying a lot of things that people didn't want to hear, and especially in a role as the incoming president at the MEC, that was a loud podium. Claude again here. I know that at um, his funeral, <clears throat> Governor William Winter said that that speech was second only to, in significance during integration in the South, was second in significance only to the to Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Wow. You know, I think this this may just be me, but I think one of the things I have found so interesting sort of as he got older and started getting public recognition, recognition that I was old enough to sort of pay attention to and see in the paper and be invited to the dinner, is that like I didn't know a lot of this stuff that I've learned. Um, it, that wasn't, he didn't... Yeah, why um, do you think that was? I, I don't know. I've thought a lot about it. I, don't, I would love to have other people's perspectives, but I just remember having moments in the last, you know, five or ten years and just thinking, like, wow, I, I really should have asked him a lot more questions. Like, I really should have taken better notes. I really should have thought about all of these things. But I think part of it for him is that it, it is just what he did in his life, and we were also part of what he did in his life and um, he never if you ask questions he would talk about he used to sit down and say okay I'm here any question you want to ask and of course I'd be like well um um you know um, but, but he, he, ne- he never sort of drove these things he wasn't like Francis let me tell you about this really yeah, important thing was, I've done he was he was also very humble and mm-hmm. didn't feel, feel like he needed to talk about all the great things he had done sure you know until he got older I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I, I do think I, that was something that was shocking to me sort of as I got older is that I had no clue some of the significant things that, that were a part of his early life. Right. Well, it's, you hear stories of a lot of times of when somebody goes off to war, the kids never know about it because they don't tell their war stories. Mm-hmm. And your grandfather, you know, fought in the war, but also he continued the fight when he got back. He right. looked at that probably as his battle and... You know, if they ask me, I'll tell them, but, I mean, that's just part of everyday grind and everyday battle. I mean, there's no reason to tell all the war stories. The point about him being humble, I think maybe Claude made that point. I was I was thinking about saying that, too. I think he, he passed that on to our parents as well, and so we weren't, you know, our parents weren't, you know, either saying, your granddad has done this and he's done this. We just kind of were oblivious to a lot of this stuff um, until later on in our lives. One of the anecdotes I wanted to to mention was uh, maybe after he made that NBC speech at some point he was giving a speech in the Delta or somewhere where racial reconciliation wasn't a priority and he I think he he often started speeches with with jokes um, which was like Ben was saying a great a great ploy to try to like win people over I think he he started one of those speeches out by saying you know it's great to be in a room among friends 
even if they're not mine. <laughs> so I, I think he passed that on to our parents too, and um, just just that overall humility and, and kind of lightheartedness. He didn't take himself too seriously, even though he was on the front lines of a lot of these important issues. Um, he he just kind of you know believed he was the same as everyone else, which was important. Yeah, he this has been he to elaborate on that when he was running for governor. He, uh, in the book, he mentions that this is one of his first campaign runs. He was in South Mississippi, and he went up to uh, some guys, and I forgot exactly where it said they were, but somewhere below Jackson. And uh, he walks into a coffee shop and said, hey, I'm Jack Reed, I'm looking for your vote. I'm a Republican, I'm looking for your vote. And they said, we know Mr. Reed, we were laughing about that just this morning. So he thought that was one of the better things that people were just laughing about. You know, who's this Reed kid that's uh, running against you know, the entire Democratic Party, so. Well, I mean, I have to say, you kind of put you on the spot here because you're the, you're the youngest of these eight of us. And, right. But go um, for it. Well, yeah, like I was saying, for most of my life, I mean, I'm still pretty young, only 17, <laughs> but for most of my life, I grew up, like, not knowing that he had done any of these, like, amazing, super influential things. And it wasn't until, like, later when I would go to these, like, award banquets and, like, the museum opening where he was honored mm-hmm. in the Civil Rights Museum. Like, I didn't know he had done any of those things. So it was just amazing, like, growing up and learning about all of this. Like, I hadn't been taught it when I was younger. Um, so it was just really cool, like, growing up and learning more and more about him and stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that we talk about sort of are are things that made him an incredible grandfather too right like he is a consensus builder Mm -hmm. like if if there was an issue he asked you questions and he tried to help you get to the place that could move things forward and I think that's a a gift in politics or family business or just a family setting and I think it came from that listening and asking questions and sort of trying to find common ground instead Mm -hmm. of Instead of urging us to learn to make a case for ourselves, which is also important, he urged us to find sort of common ground with each other and Mm -hmm. start at that spot. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, while some of the sort of accolades and the settings were very new to us as we learned more about him, the approach that people talked about him using was easily him. Like it was definitely the person I knew growing up as well. And I think that goes back to just sort of he was who he was. Um, mm-hmm. And so we got to see some of those same things play out in our family and in our own relationships with him, uh, which was a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also never retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he worked yeah, until he physically could not walk up the stairs at work anymore. And then we put in an elevator. <laughs> so yeah. he could yeah. get yeah. Ele- you know, ride the elevator up. But he, he, but was, he, he got a computer when he was how old? Like, Over 90. Yeah, and he wow. figured it out, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was in the business till he, he was watching it. You know, he was looking at the figures every day until he, until he couldn't make it to work anymore, which mm-hmm. was very close to his death. But just, I think that speaks to him being obsessive is not the right word, but just very mindful mm-hmm. of what was going on with him, you know, with his family, with his family business. And he also was, that's where he got all his mail, you know, so he was keeping up with everything else going on in the state and the country for that matter, you know, at his little little office mm-hmm. um, down at Reed's downtown. I think there's also a sense that the work isn't done, right? 
that that there is stuff to be done and I'm here and I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, you know, I will speak for myself, but I think for all of us and for our parents, sort of this, we, you live in a place, it is yours to care for and take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not yours just to, you know, sit back, enjoy your life and watch the world around you, but participate in the world. And mm-hmm. p- put yourself out there. Right. Figure out what you believe in and, you know, do it. Thank you.